the thing that we're going to get to spend a lot of time talking about this morning is the whole idea of discipleship. And specifically, how the concept of discipleship shows up when we embrace Jesus Christ as both Savior and as teacher. Now, in the late uh, 1980s and 1990s, um, there was a nine-year run for a TV show that at the time was the show that got the most awards, the most watchers, the most attention during those nine years. And that show was called Seinfeld. And most of you have watched at least some episodes, some of you are fans, you've seen every episode, and it revolves around, it's a comedy show that revolves around four friends living in New York. And there was a concept that the writers and the cast had for how they were going to approach the show and keep it on point. And one of the main mantras that they had for the four characters over the course of these nine seasons was, no growing. No character was going to show any growth. I'm not making this up. No character was going to show any kind of growth over these nine years. The show was dependent on them remaining exactly as they were at the beginning of the show. In fact, if you were to watch the very last episode, you would see a conversation between Jerry and George that is the exact same conversation that they had in the pilot episode nine years previously. The concept of the show was dependent on the idea of no growth. Now, let's be honest, it made for a really funny show. But just think for a second about how terrifying that concept is. Nine years, no growth. Imagine if all of us got to fast forward right now and we got to see ourselves nine years later. How horrific, how depressing if we looked nine years from now and we were all the exact same people that we are right now. And some of you are like, I'm pretty happy with myself. I'm just telling you, (laughs) that would be depressing. That is not, now even for a person that, that's just sort of out in the world, not necessarily having a Christian worldview, I think that, that's depressing. That there's more for us than just to stay stagnant. But especially those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, especially those of us who have been bought with the blood of Jesus, who've been raised to new life by the resurrection of the dead, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We of all people believe in the idea of God bringing transformation into our lives and into our church family. How tragic if the story of us and of our church family was nine years, no growing. As I said, we're we're talking today and really for the next six weeks, we're gonna be focused in on this concept of discipleship. And here's the reason. When we really embrace this concept that we're gonna talk about, the whole idea of discipleship, that's what prevents us from being in the situation of nine years no growth. That's what puts us in the situation where we would anticipate, because we see Jesus both as savior and as teacher, that we would anticipate we're gonna see some things happen. 
We're gonna see people coming to new faith in Jesus. We're gonna see sin being conquered in people's lives. We're gonna see chains being broken. We're gonna see uh, relationships being reconciled. We're gonna see new habits being formed. We're gonna see God's transformational work that we can share in and celebrate with each other because we see Jesus both as the savior and as the teacher. Or another way to put it is this. Discipleship leads us to believe leads us to see Jesus both as the future and as the present Lord. He's the savior in the sense that he's the future Lord. And and at a church like ours, you hear a lot about this. You hear a lot about the idea, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We don't believe that we're just human beings who are flawed and need some moral improvement. We believe Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We believe in Jesus as the savior, as the future Lord, as the one who seals our eternity. But we also believe in Jesus as the present Lord. And here's how this comes into play. If we're spending a lot of time talking about the whole idea, we are saved by God's grace, we're not saved by our works, we're brought into the family of God by what Jesus did for us, we have our eternity all figured out because of what Jesus has done, we can end up in a little bit of confusion, first of all wondering, well, why are we even still here then? If God's ultimate goal through sending Jesus was just to save us, why are we even still here? Why doesn't he just take us right now to whatever paradise that he's going to to initiate? And the other point of confusion is that we might say, well, why is it vital that I do try to grow? Why can't I just kind of stay the way that I am? Why can't I be stagnant? After all, it's not my works that save me. It's not my behavior that gets me into the family. Why is it so core to the Christian life that I would be experiencing growth? We believe in Jesus as savior, but we also believe in him as teacher. And that means he seals our eternal life, but that also means that in the present, he is leading us deeper and deeper into the new life that he has brought about as he brings us into the family of God. And so here's what this morning is gonna be like. Um, we're, we're gonna go through a passage in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 1. We're gonna go through some verses in John chapter one. And so kind of the first half of the message, I, I'm gonna be just taking us through those verses to help us understand what's going on in a passage that connects to the idea of discipleship. But really, the next part of the message is gonna be more just us talking as a church family and saying, all right, in light of what this passage says, in light of this concept, how is God leading us as the church family at Life Bible Fellowship Church to move forward in what we're calling the discipleship project? And just as a teaser, or maybe even as a spoiler, the discipleship project, the whole concept of that phrase means this is something we are all in on. We're not gonna be rolling out a plan for something that three pastors are gonna do and the rest of you are gonna watch. We're talking about something that all of us have a part to play in as we look to move deeper, not only into the hope of eternal life that Jesus came to bring, but deeper into the new life that he is bringing right now. And so again, if you have a Bible, you can look down at John chapter one. I'm gonna read verses 35 to 39, and if you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen and read along there as I read these. Starting in verse 35, it says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. This is God's word. And here's what we're going to see as we walk through this really simple passage on the whole idea of disciples and discipleship. We're going to see just a real simple outline. We're going to get to see the whole goal of discipleship. We're going to get to see the form that discipleship takes. And we're going to get to see the uniqueness of Christian discipleship and how it's different than other forms of discipleship. So again, real simple, we're just gonna start with the goal. We're gonna put verse 35 back up here. Verse 35 says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And the John that's being talked about here is John the Baptist. It's not John the author of this gospel. And John the Baptist was a very prominent, important person in first century Israel. He was a prophet and people were constantly coming to him looking for, what, for instruction on what God was calling them to do. But here's the thing that I just want you to notice about verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. The word disciple for many of us has been absolutely inextricably linked to Jesus. When we think of disciples, we think of Jesus. In fact, for for many of us, we probably would just assume, well, Jesus is the one who came up with the whole concept. The whole concept of a disciple began with Jesus. Yet before... Jesus had disciples. Who had disciples? John the Baptist had disciples. And not only John the Baptist, this was actually common in first century Israel. In Mark chapter two, there's a passage where a bunch of people come to Jesus and they're questioning him because some of the practices of his disciples don't match up with John's disciples or with the disciples of the Pharisees. Jesus didn't make up the concept of disciples. John had disciples, the Pharisees had disciples. And actually, something else, just to help us get, them, get our minds around this whole idea because we have some ingrown ideas about discipleship. Um, how many disciples did Jesus have? Well, All right. of uh, some of you smelled a trap right there. Some of you were like, no, 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 he's trying to fool us. Um, and you're kind of right. We, we want to say 12. That, that, that's the number in mind. Hey, Jesus had 12 disciples. Now, here's the deal. Jesus did have 12. Um, but often, there are some times that those 12 are referred to as the disciples, but more frequently, they're referred to either just as the 12 or as the apostles. And the apostles, the word apostle means ones who are sent. Disciple means one who learns. Jesus had many disciples. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus gives this, um, this famous bread of life message where he talks about himself as the bread of life, and he says that people are going to have to feed on him if they're going to experience eternal life. And at the end of that, in verse 36 of John chapter 6, it says, at that point, many of his disciples no longer followed him. But then the next thing John says is, then Jesus turned to the twelve. John isn't saying Jesus had 12 disciples and at that point some of them stopped following him. He said there were a lot of disciples, there were a lot of people who had embraced the idea that they were going to be disciples of Jesus. 
In fact, if you get to the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, a lot of you know this passage. Well, the passage that we often call the Great Commission, the command that Jesus gives is, go and make disciples of all nations. Now here's, here's the reason why I'm bringing this up. The whole concept of being a disciple is not unique to the first century. It's not even unique to Jesus. It's the idea of somebody, somebody being a learner. In fact, that's really what the Greek word for disciple means. It's just, the, there's a Greek verb that means to learn, and this is the noun form of that, somebody who's a learner. Now, today, we don't normally use the word disciple unless we're talking about something from the Bible, but there are a couple of words that we might use that do kind of parallel this concept here. And the two words would be student or apprentice. And both of them kind of have a part of this whole concept. When you think of a student, you think of somebody learning. You think of somebody taking in information from a teacher or from a master. And that's part of the equation here, that people are going to be learning things from Jesus. But when we think of a student, we might also think of a student gaining a bunch of theoretical knowledge. Whereas when you think of an apprentice, you think of somebody gaining a skill through sort of on-the-job training. The idea of a disciple is somebody who's learning for the purpose of practice. Jesus had many disciples, and that means he had many men and women who gathered around him to learn from him for the purpose of putting it into practice. The goal of a disciple is to learn with the purpose of practice. That's the simple goal right here, but what we get to see next in the passage is we get to see the form. What is the specific form that discipleship took surrounding Jesus? And we're gonna come back to verse 36, but, but I want you to look at it. verse 36, John points out Jesus, and then verse 37 picks up from there. It says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And maybe a little bit too closely, because verse 38 says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? A little bit of an awkward moment there. But we go on, and the thing that they say to him is rabbi, which means teacher. And just even with this starting phrase, they're not simply recognizing Jesus as a teacher. They're basically saying, we want you to be our teacher. We want you to be our rabbi. We want, you to be, we want us to be your disciples. And you can tell that that's what they meant, because they say, rabbi, where are you staying? which again, sounds like a pretty awkward personal question. But the reason they're asking Jesus, where are you staying, is because they're assuming if we're gonna be your disciples, we gotta be wherever you're gonna be. We need to attach ourselves to you. And Jesus sets that up. He says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. They spent that day with him. And if you've read the Gospels, you know it wasn't just that day that they spent with him. They spent significant portions of time over the next three years with Jesus. They were with him consistently. They weren't just attending a class for a few hours during the day and then going their separate ways. They were living with him. They were sometimes staying with him. They were attending events with him. They were hearing his messages. They were debriefing with him after famous speeches. Like in Matthew 13, Jesus tells all of these parables and the crowds are baffled and they can't figure out what he's talking about. But then Jesus grabs the disciples and debriefs with them and explains what the parables mean. Something else Jesus did with his disciples, he traveled with them. 
You want to get to know somebody for real? (laughs) Travel with them. There's some of you who've been in life group together for for just years, four or five years. I promise, if you go together on one of our summer go teams, you will get to know the people in your group better than you even would when you're getting together faithfully during that time. You know this, and it's hard to travel with somebody without coming back with either a much higher or a much lower opinion of them. (laughs) You really get to know them. Um, About a year ago, Pastor Troy and I got to go to Kenya together, Um, and we're no longer friends. No, I'm kidding. Um, But we would have considered going into the trip, we would have said, we're very good friends. We'd really got to know each other, we'd spent time together, but there's something about traveling where you really get to know somebody at a new level. And some of the really cool stuff that I got to see is I got to see Troy's personal habits. I got to see, no, this is going in a good direction, in case you're getting worried. (laughs) You guys are like, here's the dirt. Oh, I got to see that Troy is the real deal when it comes to getting up early and spending time in scripture and in prayer. I got to see his genuine love for Jesus in that way. I got to see his genuine love for people as we were around others constantly and he still continued to move towards them in grace and in love. I got to see that Troy is really good when put on the spot because there are some times, especially when you're on a mission trip where you show up to some event and suddenly somebody says, and now Pastor Troy is gonna get up and give a speech and pray for us. And Troy would just get up acting like he knew that was what was about to happen. (laughs) When you travel with someone, you really get to know them. Jesus' disciples were traveling with him. They were living with him. There were some times that they were sleeping together in the same spot because they were on their way to somewhere else. And here's why I'm saying all of this. The concept of discipleship, the form of discipleship is not I show up for a quick while, learn a little bit of something from you and then go home. It's the idea of attachment. It's the idea that I am now connected to you, I'm watching you, I'm learning from you, I'm observing you, I'm picking up things from you. To the point that, and I love this, there's a passage in the New Testament where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. You know why that conversation got to happen? Because they were together all the time and they probably saw Jesus praying and they were like, we wanna pray like that, teach us how to do this. The form of discipleship is attachment. And here's something really important to to say right here, because some of you might be thinking, all right, here's the deal. Um, I really do want Jesus as Savior. I really want to be a Christian. Um, That's important to me. I want heaven. I want eternal life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to make sure all that's taken care of. So I definitely want to be a Christian. Uh, The whole thing of being a disciple, I'm not so sure. Like, that's fine, but I'm not, like, passionate about it. I want my eternity figured out, but I'm not sure how passionate I am about being a disciple of Jesus. What I want to say is that's a little bit like saying, I really, really, really want to marry her, and I'm lukewarm about whether we live together after that. (laughs) If somebody said that, you might say, I'm not so sure you actually do want to be married to her. And might say, no, no, I do. I want my name on the bottom of that marriage certificate. I want to make sure it's all official. I want the tax write-off. I want all that stuff figured out. I do, I promise you, I want us to be married. But I'm kind of indifferent about whether we live together, build a life together, have kids together, all that stuff I could take or leave. Say, I'm not so sure you really do want to be married if that's the case. And here's the important factor. If you're saying, I want to be a Christian, I'm not so sure I want to be Jesus' disciple, then you got to ask the question, do you actually want to be a Christian? Like, I want eternal life. Do you know who eternal life is going to revolve around? 
It's going to revolve around King Jesus. He is going to be our greatest prize, our greatest treasure. He is gonna be the center of attention. You are not gonna be the center of attention on the new earth, I promise you that. Jesus is going to be the center of attention. If you are lukewarm about Jesus, you might not enjoy heaven all that much. In the New Testament, there is no differentiation between becoming a Christian and becoming a disciple. They mean the same thing. So that means for those of us who are Christians, we not only have become learners, but we have attached ourselves to Jesus, saying he is our master, he's our teacher, he's our leader now, we're looking to him so that he can lead us into the new life that he's provided for Jesus, and we do all of this in the great hope of the eternal life that he'll one day bring about when he returns. The whole goal of discipleship is to learn with the point of doing. The whole form of discipleship is to, to attach yourself to the teacher. And now finally, we wanna talk about the uniqueness of Christian discipleship, and we get to see the example of that through John. Now, here's why this next part is so important. This next part is so important because we all get to, in this point, see John as the example of how we as believers in Jesus function within one another's discipleship. We get to ask the question, what is the part I play in your discipleship and that you play in my discipleship? How do we help each other along this road? And we go back to verse 36. In verse 36, it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, speaking of John the Baptist, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Earlier in John 1, John said the same thing to his disciples. He added something on the end. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John points out Jesus. And here's the real key. Do you remember what happened with the disciples when John pointed out Jesus? John's two disciples left him and followed Jesus. John lost two disciples that day. If John's goal was to make disciples of John the Baptist, this was a really bad strategy. But John actually persisted with this strategy. He continued to point people towards Jesus, saying, hey, I'm just the groomsman, he's the groom. I'm just preparing the way, he's the Lord who's come. In fact, in John chapter three, there's a beautiful passage where a bunch of people come to John and they say, aren't you concerned? People aren't coming to you anymore. People used to come to John the Baptist to try to discern God's will for their life. Now they're not coming to you, they're coming to Jesus. And John said, he must increase, I must decrease. John's goal was not to make disciples of John the Baptist. John's goal was to somehow be instrumental in the lives of men and women becoming disciples of Jesus. The role that we play in one another's lives is not that we're trying to make disciples of ourselves. Not that we're trying to get people to follow us for the sake of following us. The role that we play in one another's lives is that we do whatever we can to lead one another closer 
in following Jesus, closer in experiencing the new life and the joy and the transformation that he brings, closer in the sense of experiencing victory over sin and freedom from things that enslaved us because we're walking in the newness of life, closer to Jesus in the sense that we're working to put new habits into our lives that are orienting our minds towards Jesus so that we're being renewed, closer to Jesus in taking brave steps of faith so that we're stepping out and seeing him work in our midst, closer so that we don't wake up nine years from right now and say we have experienced no growing. The role that we play in one another's lives is to lead us closer to Jesus. And if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know that right now you could thank God for the men or women that he has brought into your life to be a part of that journey for you. You know that there have been key times in your life where God has brought an individual alongside you, uh, of you who has played a major role in you being a disciple of Jesus. You know, for, for me, I think back, the teenage years can be difficult years. They're confusing years for anyone. And if you grow up in the church like I did, it, it could be a, one of those times that you look at your life and you're trying to just figure out, all right, do I really believe or do just my parents believe? Am I just going with the flow or have I really embraced this? And you're starting to make decisions about how important is Jesus gonna be in my life? Is he just gonna be somebody that I try to keep around for emergencies or is he really gonna be the one taking the lead? And during the high school years, that was a lot of what I was wrestling with. I knew I wanted Jesus in my life. I wasn't so certain I wanted him in charge of my life. And I was wrestling through different things. And during that period of confusion, thank God that he brought Chuck into my life. Because Chuck was my youth leader during the high school years. And Chuck, for whatever reason, God put me on his heart where he decided to come alongside me and shepherd me closer to Jesus not only during the high school years, but even during the college years. And for a couple years afterwards, he spent time, he spent prayers, he gave advice, he prayed with me, cried with me, he walked with me during those years. Not so that I could become a disciple of Chuck, but so that I could become a closer disciple of Jesus. My late 20s and early 30s, um, I was going through, this, will sound, this might sound a little bad, I hope it doesn't, um, but, but I, was, I was going through a period where um, I was discouraged because I was looking at a lot of older people and I wasn't terribly impressed. Um, and uh, whether or not I was observing things accurately, here's what I was observing. In, in most of the older people I was around, I was observing that there was a sense of people just getting to a point and saying, this is who I am, everybody else has just got to deal with it. This is who I am, I'm digging in my heels, I'm not changing, I am who I am. And, and that just discouraged me. I was just like, do we all, is, is that just what's gonna happen to me? That there's just a certain point that I'm gonna get to and I'm gonna be like, hey, I am who I am, everybody else just has to deal with it. And thank God, at that point, he brought into my life Tom Lyman. I was in my early 30s, Tom was in his early 80s. And I had never met a man who was so humble and teachable at that age. And this was a guy, he, he and his wife had literally translated the Bible into a language that hadn't existed. He had a lot that he could have bragged on. He had a lot of past accomplishments that he could have coasted on. But he was seeking Jesus in genuine ways, even into his 80s. And I found every excuse and every possible way that I could to be around Tom as much as I could. And for about three or four years, Tom accommodated that and walked with me, not to lead me to be a disciple of Tom Lyman but to lead me to be a closer disciple of Jesus Christ. 
This is the role we play in one another's lives. This is, in many ways, the discipleship project that we're talking about, not only this Sunday, but that we're gonna be talking about a lot in the coming weeks. And so here's what I wanna do now. I want us to have just a little bit of church family time to talk about this. How do we participate in one another's discipleship? And, And let me tell you the dream. Here's the dream. The dream is that within this church family, there are relationships cropping up all over the place. Not highly organized, not sanctioned from up front, not organized by pastors and elders, but all over the place. It just becomes normal within this church family that people are meeting one-on-one or people are meeting in really small groups and they are intentionally pushing each other, pulling each other, encouraging each other forward in closer discipleship of Jesus. Like small groups, one-on-one, people, men and women are meeting together and saying, all right, I've got this sin in my life. It's been running my life for a while. I can't figure out how to do it. I need a partner to work together with me on being able to conquer and win the victory over this sin. That we have people meeting together and somebody saying, I I still, I've been a Christian for a long time. I still don't read the Bible. I get discouraged. I get distracted. I know I need this in my life. I need somebody to walk with me and facilitate me being a closer disciple of Jesus. That somebody says, I have a broken relationship in my life and I can't figure out how to mend it and I keep getting angry at this person and that somebody's walking alongside with them in that journey, not making disciples of themselves, but pointing, just as John did, pointing people towards Jesus. In fact, for, for the last year or so, we've been praying about this whole concept of discipleship. And, and by the way, just even when, in some ways, I hesitate to use the term discipleship because sometimes when, when we hear, for, for those of us who are church folk, when we hear the word discipleship, we think, oh, I know what discipleship is. Um, step one, you become a Christian. Step two, you meet with somebody for like 12 weeks and get discipled, and then you're a disciple and you just sort of move on with life. One of the reasons why we chose the term the discipleship project is because this project is never done until Jesus comes back. We are constantly moving, we are constantly growing. And it's also called a project because we're in on this with each other. As we prayed about it, there were two words that we kept coming back to about our heart for how we play this out as a church family. And the two words were organic and intentional. Now here's the reason, organic in this sense. Um, What we're not doing with this is saying, sign up on your card and we will play matchmaker. Sign up on this card and sign up for whether you want to be the person who's sort of doing the discipling or the person who's getting discipled. And we as elders and pastors, we will play matchmaker and match everybody up. We're also not saying come to this place at this time in this event and get discipled. What we're saying is we want this to be something that sprouts up. We want you to look around and not say, all right, if I'm going to get in on this, I guess I got to meet some new person and approach them and kind of take them under my wing. And that feels a little bit awkward and a little bit weird. What we're saying is God has already put people in your sphere. God has already put people in your life. You don't need to go out and meet somebody new. You don't need to go and search high and low. Look in your life group. Look in your Bible study. Look in your circle of friends. God has brought people into your life. We want this to be organic. We don't want people coming to the pastors and elders saying, hey, I want to start meeting with this person, going through this book and having us encourage one another in the faith. Is that okay? I'll just tell you right now, that's okay. 
Nobody's gonna put the kibosh on that. that. We want this to happen. We don't wanna be aware of all the things that are going on with this. We want this to be organic. So don't think of something brand new. Think God has already brought people into my life. And then think further about this. Some of you might even say, not only has God brought somebody into my life, we already meet regularly. We get together for coffee every other week or we get together for, for, uh, you know, for, for a bite to eat every other week. We already kind of are getting together and we're sort of encouraging each other in the faith, but it's a little haphazard. And that's where the word intentional comes in. I want to say, we don't just want to say to, to our whole ch- church family, hey, everybody just go and kind of disciple each other. I want to say, all right, if there are things we can do to help this just get going, to help give some rails and some direction to this, we want to do this. And that's where, if you've got a bulletin on the way in, you got one of these cards. Go ahead, if you've got a bulletin, go ahead and take this out right now. It's a very simple card. It's not complicated at all. On one side, all it has is some things that talk about how you participate in the discipleship project. And then on the back, it has a couple of books that we recommend for this. But let me preface the card saying this. Um, my goal is not to get each of you walking out of here today saying, I'm in, I know who I'm going to meet with, I know when we're going to meet, I know what book we're going to do. For some of you, God may have already been working in your life and you've been waiting for this and now you're saying, all right, I'm in, I know what I'm going to do. But for many of you, you might feel like, all right, that's a little overwhelming, I need a little bit of time, I need to think about this. I want you to think of this as a six-week period of time for you to spend prayer and thought into how God is calling you to be involved in this project. And and on the side that asks, how do I participate? It's real simple. The, The steps are basically to say, begin prayerfully looking at where God has put you and who God has put on your heart. Because maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ who's in your life group, in your Bible study, in your group of friends, in your your flourish group or mom-to-mom group that you're looking at and you're saying, I I already have a connection with this person. I want to help build her up. I want to help build him up. I want to come alongside them. Or maybe even you're on the other side and you're saying, I don't know that right now in my life I'm in a position where I feel like I could take somebody under my wing. I kind of feel like I need somebody to do that for me. Then my suggestion to you is start looking around your sphere Start looking at the people God has brought into your life and look for somebody that you'd say, you know what, they're a little bit further along down the road. I want to attach myself to them because they're attached to Jesus. At some point after you've prayed for it and sought God's wisdom on it, approach that person and ask them about meeting. You don't need to meet at a time that we set up. You meet at a time that works well for you and you might say, we're going to meet every week or we're going to meet every other week or we're going to meet every three weeks. You get to work that out and allow it to be organic for what God is doing. You choose a book that you're going to go through or some kind of curriculum that you're going to go through. We've got two suggestions on the back. The reason we have these two suggestions is not because they're the only two books that work well for this. It's because we don't want to say to everybody in our church family, ah, just go figure it out. We want to say we know at least two resources that are really good for this type of thing. And depending on the person you're meeting with, one of these might stand out more than another. You can look them up online. You can get the info. You can talk to any of the pastors if you want some advice on this. And then you just start meeting and you see what God's going to do in the midst of all of this. But here's what I also want to invite you to. I mentioned the whole idea that, all right, there's kind of a six-week six week period of time. So let me walk you through that, what, what you can expect over this and the next five weeks. This is the first of three weeks of a preaching series on the Discipleship Project. So there's going to be two more Sundays where, man, it's really going to be front and center. The messages are going to be geared around this whole idea. And then three weeks after that, we'll be back in 1 Timothy. But 1 Timothy is really largely about this whole idea. So those three weeks, we're going to be talking about it from up front a lot more. So you're going to have six weeks of messages that are really oriented around this. 
And then during those six weeks, what also is going to be happening is that each week we're going to be dropping a podcast episode that's going to accompany and support what we're talking about from up front. You can subscribe to that. You can listen or watch it sometime during the week, and you can continue to think and pray and get equipped in how to do this. And then at the end of those six weeks, on October 13th, which is going to be kind of the culmination of those six weeks, we're going to have an event in the garage after third service. We're going to serve lunch and we're going to gather, not even just with people that are saying, I'm for sure in, but people that are just saying, I think I want to be in, I need some more. And we're going to have further equipping, further information, question and answer. We're going to have the books there so that you can look at them and even purchase them from us. We're going to look to take these six weeks to say, let's focus as a church family and let's all be asking the question, what is God calling me to do in my part? In fact, just to clarify, let let me put it up here on the screen. If you consider yourself a part of this church family, here's what I want to ask you to do for the next six weeks. I want to ask you, some, some of you, this first one might be a big ask. I want to ask you, daily pray for God to lead you in your area of involvement. Just daily prayer. It doesn't have to be a super long prayer. Make it part of your daily prayer. God, please lead me to how you're asking me to participate. Whether I'm approaching somebody to kind of shepherd me, whether I'm approaching somebody else to shepherd them, whether it's more mutual, whether it's a person I already know, God, please just guide me for my part in it. Pray daily during these six weeks for this. And also during these six weeks, make plans to be here each Sunday. This is a big deal. We really want to be focused on this. And also during these six weeks, download the podcast so that you can have another signpost to point your mind and your heart towards what we're doing as a church family. And the information about downloading the podcast is in the bulletin. If, if you need help with that, you can talk to one of us with a name tag. We'll help you with that. But this is what we want to move forward as an, in a church family. And again, here's the dream. The dream is not just that we'd be able to say, oh, we got a bunch of people meeting in different things, studying through different books. The dream is that we would find that there are multiplying stories of God doing transformation in our lives that we're finding out about new stories, about people coming to faith in Jesus, that we're hearing new stories about sin and darkness being conquered, that we're hearing new stories about reconciliation between people who had been at odds, that we're hearing stories about life transformation. Don't you want more of that? Don't you want in on this? We want in on this. We want to see the Holy Spirit at work in our church family, and that's why the Discipleship Project is something that we're all in on.